So here we are in Mark's gospel at the end of chapter 12. It's still Tuesday, just a few days after Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem and just a few days before his triumphant ascension to his throne on the cross and through the empty tomb. And he's still conversing with the religious leaders in the temple. So far, they've asked him two questions um, about his relationship to authority and two questions concerning his interpretation of the scriptures. Jesus has answered all of these questions, and now Mark says in verse 34, after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. But now Jesus has a question of his own for them. What will it be? This will be his last time to teach in public. So what will he say? Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 44. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, um, we come this morning and ask that you would help us to see Jesus. Would you pull up the veil over our hearts, over our eyes, and help us to see, get a glimpse of him this morning? Because ultimately, that's what we need. Um, So we ask for your spirit to come and do that, just as your spirit spoke through David, just as your spirit spoke through Jesus, he speaks to us through Mark. So we ask that he would um, speak and that we would listen and hear and see. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I studied this passage this week, I kept coming back to this parable that I once heard. Um, It's not a biblical parable, but it's a modern day parable that someone wrote in a book and, and that I read. And uh, if we have that image, I'd love to have that up there. Great. Listen to this 
modern-day parable as you look at this picture. A group of tourists is sitting in a bus that is passing through gorgeously beautiful country. Lakes and mountains and green fields and rivers. But the shades of the bus are pulled down. They do not have the slightest idea of what lies beyond the windows of the bus. And all the time of their journey is spent in squabbling over who will have the seat of honor on the bus, who will be applauded, and who will be well considered. And so they remain till the journey's end. That's the parable. Tourist on a great big tour bus like this, surrounded by gorgeously beautiful country. Um, but the shades are pulled down. They don't see any of that out there. And they spend their whole time on their journey, squabbling over who will have the seat of honor, who will be recognized, who will be well considered. And so they go for the rest of their journey. I thought of that parable because it sounds to me very similar to what Jesus was saying about the scribes in Mark chapter 12. Listen to what he said. In his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and, a pre- and for a pretense make long prayers. Just like the people on the bus with the shades pulled down, Jesus says that all the time of the scribes' journey is spent in squabbling over who will have the seat of honor, who will be applauded, who will be well considered. And as we read the rest of Mark, we'll see that They remain that way until their journey's end. But Jesus is warning us not to be like them. Beware of that mindset, he says. At the end of their journey, though they may have enjoyed the best seats on the bus, the comfort of first-class living, the consideration and applause of the crowds, Jesus says they will receive the greater condemnation. After giving this warning, Jesus takes his disciples to a place in the temple called the treasury. Now, the treasury is in the court of the women, which everyone has access to. And in in the treasury, uh, there are 13 large boxes that are shaped like shofars. This is a shofar. This is uh, the trumpet of the people of Israel. So these boxes as you can imagine, probably were shaped like this, 13 of them, large boxes. And this is where people would put in their offerings. And they watch people putting in their offerings. And so the rich come, and the rich had big piggy banks. So uh, they come and dump in their huge collection of coins into one of these shofar-shaped boxes, and you can imagine the, the rattle and the clanking of the coins as they go down to the bottom of the box. It's pretty, pretty impressive. But then they watch this poor little widow woman, and Jesus, I think, probably nudges the disciples and says, wait, watch, watch this. Listen. Clink, 
Clink. That's it. Not very impressive at all. In fact, it's kind of pitiful. Truly, Jesus says, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For, all they, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Plink, plink. What's his point? What's Mark's point? Why did the Holy Spirit have Mark put these two things together? Beware of the scribes and watch this widow. Jesus is saying, don't be like the scribes. Be like this poor widow who out of her love and devotion to God gives everything she has to live on. She's not fighting to get the best seat on the bus. She's not looking for honor and for comfort or to be well-considered. Listen, honestly, she could have kept back one of the coins, right? Who would blame her for keeping back one of the coins? I mean, which one of us gives 50% in our offerings? 50% of what we have. So she still would have been amazing just to put in one coin. But Jesus said she put in everything she had, all she had to live on. In other words, she offered up her entire life to God as an act of worship. But I don't think the story of the poor widow was placed here mainly to teach us principles about giving money, although there's certainly lots we can draw from her example about that. I think the Spirit has a different purpose for placing this story here at the end of all of Jesus' interactions with the religious leaders of his day. He spent the entire day at the temple in conversation with with the people who should most clearly see, see who he is, but instead of seeing him as the promised Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah, Instead, they are obsessed with trying to protect their prestige, their power, their positions, their possession, their own praise. They do this by trying to trap Jesus, to turn the people against him. As Mark said, they want to destroy him. So after a day of of dealing with those people, Jesus points his disciples to a poor widow who's the perfect picture of what he wants to see in his disciples. He wants to see someone who will give up everything, prestige, power, positions, possessions, praise, who will give up everything and who will give everything they are and have and hope for as an offering to God. That's what he wants from his disciples. It's sad the scribes were willing to let go of the Christ in order to hold on to everything they had, all that they had to live on all that they thought would give them life. And here this widow was letting to let go of her life, everything that she had, all that she had to live on, so that all she had to hold on to was her God. The contrast is amazing. This is the kind of disciple Jesus is looking for. Now, why? Why? Why were these scribes willing to give up Jesus, the Christ, their Messiah? Why were they willing to do this? In order to keep the life and lifestyle to which they'd become accustomed. 
After all they had heard and seen from Jesus, why were they still choosing to live as if the purpose of life is just to get the best seat on the bus? Why were they only interested in a Messiah that would help them secure that best seat on the bus? A Christ who would help them achieve their vision of the good life. They weren't thinking outside the bus. They had the shades pulled down and they could not imagine the beauty that lies beyond the windows of their little bus. They couldn't imagine the glory and the beauty that was outside. They were missing the beauty of Jesus. Like a a veil over their hearts, as Paul called it. They couldn't see who the Christ, the Messiah, truly is standing right there. And so Jesus is going to challenge their view of the Messiah. He's going to lift the shades for them and show them that there's more outside of the confines of their little world. And so that's why he asked the question, how can the scribes call the Christ the son of David when David calls him his Lord? And this is what he's saying. The scribes don't see something about the Messiah that everyone needs to see. Your Christ is too small. Your view of the kingdom of God is too small. And so he takes them back to Psalm 110, which by that time, all, all people, scribes and people alike, agreed that Psalm 110 was referring to the promised Messiah, to the Christ. David's, my Lord, is the Messiah. So there's no argument about that. And as we read this morning in Psalm 110, Uh, Psalm 110 paints this picture of the Messiah who will reign on an eternal throne, who will subdue all of his enemies under his feet. He will make his people flourish and send them out as his emissaries to be like the morning dew, giving life everywhere they go, helping flourish wherever they go. And he will ultimately shatter all evil as he prepares and secures for himself and his people an eternal place of peace. This is the Messiah that Psalm 110 is talking about. This is the Messiah that God promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when he said, I will raise up your offspring after you, David, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. It's that Messiah. But the scribes and the people had a very narrow understanding of those promises. They were looking for a son of David who would come and achieve national deliverance for Israel. But Jesus says, no, no, open the shades, look outside. God is doing something bigger outside your bus. He says, listen, did you hear what David said? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Now, all of those listening to Jesus understood that something that some of us might not. And for those of you who know this, be patient while I explain, for those of us who don't, that in our English translation, when you read in the Old Testament the word Lord in all caps, the Hebrew word behind that all caps Lord is the word Yahweh. 
It's the name of the covenant God. It's the name of the true and living God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush who delivered his people out of Egypt. It's that God. That's what Lord, all caps, means in the Old Testament. And then in the Old Testament, when you read Lord with just the capital L, that's the Hebrew word Adonai. It, it, it means Lord, like ruler, king. And so David is saying, and the people understood that David was saying, Yahweh says to my king, the Messiah, my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And that's why Jesus is saying, how, how can David's son be that Lord that Yahweh says, sit at my right hand? So Israel's greatest king, David, is saying that one of his great-great-great-great-grandsons, the promised Messiah king, will be enthroned next to Yahweh. That means that the Christ, the Messiah, will be a greater king than David ever was. And Jesus is saying, have you thought about what that means? <laughs> and in the context of blind Bartimaeus had called out to him, have mercy on me, son of David, son of David. Two days before this, the people waved palm branches and said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord who is establishing the kingdom of our father David. One commentator explained it. He said this way, he said, David himself distinguished between his earthly political sovereignty and the higher level of sovereignty assigned to the Messiah. The Messiah is not only son of David, he is also, and especially, David's Lord. His role is not to restore, restore on earth the Davidic kingdom or the sovereignty of Israel. He does not simply extend the work of David, David, but comes to establish a wholly different kingdom, a throne which is situated at God's right hand. Their view of the Messiah was too small, too simplistic. They were only think about thinking about overthrowing Rome and reviving the good old days of Israel, of Israel's national political prestige and power and position and praise. And they saw the Messiah as one who would come and help them get a better seat on the bus, honestly. But they were frustrated because Jesus didn't seem interested in their vision of the good life. In fact, he threatened their vision of the good life. He was, he was threatening their seat on the bus. Jesus came to lift the shades that keep people from thinking outside the bus. And he's come to do that for us this morning. He gave us his story by the hand of Mark so that we would see the glory and the beauty of the king and his kingdom. The glory and beauty of the king and his kingdom that are just outside the windows of our bus, if we would look. Psalm 110 was a coronation psalm. David wrote this psalm to be read at the crowning of his sons who would reign after him. And when Jesus quoted Psalm 110 that day, he was just days from his coronation. 
He was just dazed from this coronation. You see, we're going to see in the next few weeks that Mark describes the crucifixion, the, the trials, the, everything, the suffering, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus in, the, in language that sounds like he's ascending to a throne. Jesus chose his last time of public teaching to talk about his coronation. His crucifixion and his resurrection were right around the corner. He had his throne in sight. The author of Hebrews tells us that after making purifications for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Look outside the bus, friends, and see the king of glory who gave himself for you to purify you, to purify me from all of our sins. Right now, he sits exalted at his Father's right hand, and he loves you. He prays for you. I think one of the old Puritans said, what would it be like if you heard Jesus praying in the room next to you for you? Would that change how you view your place on the bus? (laughs) He not only prays for you, he pleads his blood for you whenever you sin, whenever you fail him. Whenever you find yourself fighting for the best seat on the bus, whatever that looks like for you, he pleads his blood for you. He has done the work and he's seated at the right hand of his father because he loves you. And Jesus is right now subduing all of his enemies. Not not simply, this is better than subduing Rome or subduing that political party that you hate so much or subduing the mainstream media. That's nothing. Jesus is subduing sin and Satan's power that are found in every place and in every person, including me, including you. Can we see outside the windows of our bus and wonder at the beauty of this Lord? Wonder at the beauty of this King who wrapped himself in the poverty of human flesh and blood and like that poor widow, gave himself, gave everything that he had to live on so that in our spiritual poverty, we might inherit the riches of his kindness toward us forever. Can we see that beauty? It's right there. It's right there. Who cares about having the best seat on the bus? Who cares whether I get recognized or well-considered by, or you? Who cares whether you get recognized or well-considered by this church, by this community, by your coworkers, whatever? Because he sees you. He sees you, the one who sat and sat down and watched this poor little widow woman give all of herself and said to his disciples, look at her, watch her, look at her. He sees you. He's seated right now. He sat down at the right hand of his father, and he sees you. He sees you. He loves you. Do you see him? Do you see the beauty of his heart for you as the Lord who gave up his life for you? 
to give you a life outside the bus? I don't know what it looks like for you to try to find the best place on the bus, the best seat on the bus. I'm not sure what that looks like for you. How, maybe that's something you need to think about when you get a little time alone this morning, uh, this morning, this afternoon. What does it look like for you to be jockeying for position for the best place on the bus in your life? Why do we do that? When the king who sits on the throne of the universe sees us. Friends, the reason that you and I are so preoccupied with finding the best seats on the bus is that we forget to look outside the bus and see that Jesus is Lord that he's sinning, exalted at the right hand of his and our Father, having done everything necessary to conquer sin, Satan, suffering, death, hell, and the grave. He's done it all. That's why he sat down. His work is done. But he's not done working for his people. He's subduing his enemies under his feet, including that enemy of sin that continues to entangle us. He's sending us out as emissaries from his church to be like the morning dew, people who share in his deep gladness to make all things new. And he is storing up wrath as he prepares for the day when he will finally shatter all evil and all that is unjust will be made right. You can be sure that your crucified king is the living Lord. And he is securing an eternal kingdom for all those who, like that poor widow, will let go of all they think will give them life and rest in him alone for the life that only he can give. That's your Jesus. That's your Lord. Open the shades. Father, would you, by the power of your spirit and your word, Continue to open the shades for us. Help us to see what's outside the bus. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see the beauty and the glory of our King and His kingdom and that He gave Himself so that we could enjoy it forever and so that we could be like the morning dew, bringing refreshment to others, inviting them to open their shades and look at Jesus too. Help us to be that kind of people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.